Will Rigby, DaleWileyShow.com. So I'm talking to Will Rigby today, and I'm so excited because not only is he Mr. Forrest Door, but he's a great drummer. And so I guess what I would like to ask is, how do you first like music? Uh, well, I mean, I just, uh, <laughs> I mean, it goes back before I can really remember, but, uh, well, uh, my first memory of listening to music is the radio and like my parents' records, like the okay. original cast recording of Oklahoma and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but, uh. Uh, I'll cut to the chase and say that, like uh, millions of people, I wanted to uh, be in a band ever since seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> right. And I was not—I was not quite eight when the first time they were on. And uh, most people wanted to be John or Paul, but I wanted to be Ringo. <laughs> okay. Well, you became Ringo. I mean, to some extent, you've done a had an amazing career, definitely. Yeah. Well, he was like way, way up high on this incredibly tall riser, which uh, <laughs> let's just say that didn't really happen a whole lot in my career. <laughs> well, but what was it about Ringo that you really liked? I don't know. I mean, I think I was just born to play drums. I just always liked the drumming, so... But I especially like Ringo. I, I think it's because of his sm- goofy smile, but I don't know. <laughs> well, he's also a heck of a drummer, good drummer, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, there's lots of good drummers, but uh, he's one of them. Well, definitely. And so where was this? What part of the country? Uh, where did I grow up? Yes. I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I was oh, born and raised there. So what? But you've always been in North Carolina then, is that right? Uh, I lived in North Carolina till I was 22 with a brief okay. sojourn uh, elsewhere at, in my late teens. But then I moved to New York for 22 years. And I lived in New York City for 22 years. Well, uh, until 2000, from 78 to 2000, okay. uh, I lived in Nashville for a few years, and then I moved in with Florence in uh, Cleveland in 2004, and lived right. in the suburbs of Cleveland for about six years, and then we moved to Chapel Hill, and I've lived in Chapel Hill since 2010. So actually, this is fun, kind of come back home, is that right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, um, I actually lived in Chapel Hill in the late, in the, like, 75 to 78. Right. Most of the time. And uh, so, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say this is my home now, for sure. I don't have any desire to move back to Winston-Salem, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, that's fun. And so... Tell me about your favorite moments drumming. What has been your favorite band to play with? Um, well, I'll uh, you know I, there was a lot of great moments in the DBs 
Right. Um, uh, I would say most exciting moments for me were the first time I was on David Letterman with Steve Earle in 2000. Right. Was about uh, a pretty bunch of a high point. Definitely. Um, the first time, sort of the only time, but like first time I played at a huge stadium show, which was with Matthew Sweet in 1993, right. and uh, which was at RFK Stadium in D.C., which is some place that he got a lot of airplay. And right. when he started into Girlfriend, the crowd just like went crazy and uh that's a moment that I remember as being particularly exciting. Yeah. Um there was a moment uh I'm just going through random highlights that, that go occur to me. Um <laughs> one time uh, I was playing with Steve Earl at the nine thirty club in D C Right. I guess this would have been around two thousand two, two thousand one. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Emmy Lou Harris just happened to be in town, and wow. she was like uh, just kind of hanging out backstage, uh-huh. and without like any like plan whatsoever, she just kind of like walked on stage during. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the song "Goodbye," but it's oh yeah one of Steve Earle's more famous songs and, and right. one that she has recorded. And she just kind of wandered on stage uh, and, like, the she was in the dark because there was no lights pointed where she was. And right. the audience just slowly realized that she was there and this, like, slow cheer arose that took a, a good 20 seconds to like reach its full right uh thing and she just you know sang along uh with Steve on that that was pretty uh spine tangling definitely definitely and so what's it like playing with your wife playing with Florence um well uh I like her music and um, I think she's uh, she's got a bright future, that kid. Right, um, she sure does. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, it's kind of great playing, you know, with your wife uh, on stage. It's it's different from playing with anyone else. Right. Um, well. So what is what has it been like during the pandemic? Well, the pandemic sucks. <laughs> um, the quarantine sucks. Right. Uh I'm you know, I'm as tired of it as anybody else. Right. Um I I guess I I was already kind of a stay at home guy, so in one way, it didn't change what I do a whole heck of a lot. Right. Because um, I stay home a lot already. So, uh-huh. But now my whole family's here all the time. Right. 
about Steve Earle? What's it like to play with Steve? Uh, well, it was it was pretty exciting at first. Um, it was definitely like on a level that I had experienced before. Like my very first time playing, doing anything with him. Well, well, no, I mean the first thing when I met him, I was uh, playing on a record that he record, produced, uh, the second Sherry Knight album, which if you haven't heard oh, it, yes, I love it's, her. She's awesome. It's it's the best album I've ever played on. It's a right. great, great album. Right. And uh, so that's when I met him and. The first time I played with him was at Farm Aid uh, in 99. Right. So that was a pretty exciting way to right. audition, really. Well, that's, I mean, in retrospect, it was pretty pretty obviously it was an audition. Um, right. <laughs> but I passed, and... Uh, um, uh, when I first started playing with him, uh, there was more, I'm not sure really what happened, but there was more like celebrities hanging around. Right. At first, you know, like Billy Bragg would come to the show and uh, Cheryl Crow and right people, you know, that I've heard of. The Cohen brothers, right, um, and uh, and people like that, but that really kind of stopped happening after a while, and I I actually do not know why. Okay, I don't know. I don't know why that changed, uh-huh. but it stopped after a few years being. Uh, I don't know if he lost his cachet or uh or or what, but uh it was kind of a more uh in thing when I first started than it right. It didn't well it really continued to be that. And it, he he you know, he still draws crowds, um of varying sizes, it depends on where. Some some places right. he's at the club level, and some places he's at the concert hall level. Right. Um, and it's pretty much not changed at all. Uh, he's still playing the same places. He was still playing the same places when I last toured with him in 2015. Right. Uh, that he was playing when I started playing with him in 2000. The, well, generally the same venues over and over again. Back with Will in just a second. Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morell, City, Jeff City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, 
studio on South Avenue in Springfield. Springfield. Springfield, Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Back with Will Rigby, DaleWileyShow.com. Well, compare that to being in a band like being in the DBs. What's the difference? Uh, well, playing with Steve, the, the touring was pretty easy. There was a crew and a bus and, you know, got paid well. Right. The, with the DBs and and pretty much anything else I've done, the you know, there hasn't been as much money involved and uh, just not as cushy. So right. <laughs> I can't really I can't really compare anything else I've done with like playing with Steve Earle because it's just not right. on the same level. <clears throat> um, with one or two exceptions. But, uh, uh, you know, playing with the DBs was more like I was part of making the music. Right. Uh, like, with Steve, it was kind of more like uh, do what you're told type of thing. And, right. And he was, he was really not into uh, spending a lot of time in the studio or right. or experimenting with arrangements. You know, it's pretty much like as soon as we could get through the song without stopping, that was the arrangement. Right. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, that's an exaggeration, but he didn't, he didn't really like any kind of filigree at all. Right. And uh, so I, I pretty much was just a timekeeper and there's nothing right. wrong with that, but uh, um, like, you know, by comparison, like with the DBs, I was more involved in creating the arrangements and, uh, you know, figuring out how songs should be played. Right. Then, uh, then I ever was with Steve. Right. Well, let's talk about the DBs then. What was that band like when you first started? Um, well, uh, we go way back. Uh, right. I grew up with Peter. I certainly knew who, uh, Chris Damey was right. from when I was a kid. I didn't know him uh, until I was in high school. But uh, the uh, the fact that we were all from the same place. Uh, I mean, we we started in New York. It was a New York band. Right. Uh, some people don't understand that because we have we all grew up in North Carolina. Right. We all grew up in Winston Salem, but we were a New York band, very much a New York band. And um, what does that mean to be a New York band? Explain that. Well, we were. Uh, I mean, I was pretty much fascinated from New York from like. Uh, 
jeez. But whenever I started having like any kind of awareness of anything, like right, just listening to the Velvet Underground or or right, you know, reading Tropic of Capricorn by Henry Miller or right. anything like that, you know, just like New York was like just seemed so fascinating to me, and uh, <clears throat> and you know. Bob Dylan, my all-time fave, was there, and um, uh, so and and then like the whole new new wave scene started there, and uh, I would say so I was like I would I wasn't part of the original generation of bands there, like right. the Ramones and Television and all them, but I. I would say that we were like the next generation right. and very much influenced by that wave of of creativity and uh, reinvigoration of the original rock and roll spirit. Right. Uh, and, you know, wanting to be part of that and carry it on. And so tell me about the band. What was fun about it? Uh, Okay, well, the DVs actually started in June of 78. Uh, It was just uh, Chris Davey, Gene Holder, and me. Um, It was a trio, although we frequently had... uh, keyboard player sit in with us, Fran Kowalski, who had been in the Alex Chilton band with Chris in 77. He frequently sat in, um, and we frequently had this sax player who was Gene's cousin uh, sat sat in with us on a couple of songs. Uh, As weird as that sounds, (laughs) it was kind of weird, but uh, um, I, I wouldn't say that saxophone was like a big instrument to us, but uh, he was fun to be around, and we were just uh, um, so the okay. So the three of us uh, started playing gigs around New York, uh, and we played a couple of gigs out of town before Peter joined, but. You know, it was only between June and uh, Peter came up in October, so it was only a few months before Peter joined the band that the band existed. Um, I I guess we probably played, I don't know, 10 or 12 shows before Peter joined and recorded 145. Um, And so Peter Holzapple joins in October of 78. Right. And... uh, was that a plan? Did you know that he was going to join? No. Okay. No. Um, uh, Peter moved to Memphis the same time that I moved to New York. Right. Um, and interestingly, uh, Mitch Easter also moved to New York around the same time. Right. Uh, he didn't last there very long. 
I can't remember how long it was like a year and a half or two years. Uh-huh. I don't think it, I don't think it was two years, but he was around um, two, uh, and he really didn't like it. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But I I think right. uh, he's a real dog person. I don't think he liked that he, you know, that his dogs had to be cooped up all the time. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good reason. Um, and. Uh, I, you know, I think he just he just liked being able to uh, be outdoors. And, right. You know, New York just wasn't for him. But uh, anyway, uh, so Peter moved to, to Memphis when I moved to New York, and uh, that didn't work out very well. And it was like kind of a brutal summer in Memphis. To, uh, there was strikes and right. some like unrest, and it was not a very good time to be in Memphis. And right. uh, so he volunteered to come up and be uh, to join Chris's band. Right. And you know he was already a songwriter, and I was like. Uh, I knew from that moment that eventually there would come a time where, like, okay, this is one too many songwriters. Right. <laughs> um, and, and you know, it's like you can argue it all day that, like, uh, the uh, juxtaposition of the two songwriters is one of the things that made DVs, like, special. And I have no doubt that that's true, but it's also also true that like when you've got two songwriters neither of them is gonna have all the songs played that they want played sure so there was just too many songs uh-huh. and uh <clears throat> but you know it worked out great for a while and uh the first year or two of that lineup was I thought really great, and I mean I thought it was a bit a good band throughout. Don't get me wrong, right. but that period before we made the first record uh, is represented on uh, uh, the album Ride the Wild Tom Tom, right? And uh, we're actually talking about trying to re-release that on vinyl. Sure. We're trying to get that together. Uh, that could happen next year, we hope. Right, that's great. Um, and so then, uh, okay, so our first album comes out in 81. Right. Actually, our first two albums came out in 81, uh, really, but... Uh, started recording the first album in 79 or early 80. I don't remember, right. but it was quite a while before it came out. And uh, and uh, made the second album pretty quickly. And uh, and then Chris quit. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so then we were like floundering around for a year or two and got a 
uh, I mean, in retrospect, it wasn't that long, but it seemed like a long time at the time and got uh, signed to Bearsville, made an album uh, as just the Peter, Gene, and Will were the only people in the DBs at the time we made the record. Right. Um, but, uh, and then we hired, you know, kind of a series of uh, musicians. There's a bass player in 1984 named Rick Wagner and a bass player from 1985 on named Jeff Beninato. Um, and then, like, in... When our next album came out in 87, Gene played on it, but he said, well, I'll play on the record, but then I, I quit. Right. Uh, he was joining this other, his his girlfriend's band, the Wiggles. And right. uh, um, and had a series of replacements for him. Uh And I guess I'm getting more of a timeline type thing going on here. Whereas, if you want to ask more in-depth questions, <laughs> well, I, I, so then we broke up in '88. Well, um, and talk about Chris versus Peter. What are their strengths? Um. Well, Chris is like very intellectual. Um, he's much, very much the best businessman of us. He's, he's really good at making the phone calls and making, you know, making sure details get covered. Right. Um, and Peter is more like, uh, his songs are more like, uh, emotional and, uh, I don't know how to describe it out front or something. Yes, it's, it's weird very different songwriting styles. That personality in the band, just to see the difference in how it all plays out. So, what's next for you? Um, well, like I say, the DBs are trying to put out uh, Ride the Wild Tom Tom on LP for the first time. Right. Uh, there's there's talk about a deluxe edition of Falling Off the Sky, the album that we had that came out in 2012. Right. Um, there's a deluxe edition of that under, like, discussion development there's actually like a lot of songs that didn't make it onto that record so uh there's there's a few that came out like on eps and 45s and then there's a couple that never came out at all and uh and one in particular that i really would think is great and would love to have it see the light of day because it's like one of the great unreleased DBs tracks. That's fun. Um, 
I hope to put out some more Will Rigby tracks in the near future. I had one come out this year. I had one come out a couple of years ago on a Swedish label. Uh, I'm not the most prolific uh, guy in the world, either as a songwriter or as a recording artist. Right. But uh, I have actually written some songs this year. The first I have in years, so I kind of got out of the habit of it. And if there's anything good about the the quarantine, I I spent some time actually writing and recording. Right, yes. And uh, I've actually kind of gotten out of the habit already. But uh, uh, anyway, I've got, you know, some other stuff that will be coming out, probably self-released. That's going to be fun. And that's why I've enjoyed having you on the podcast. And thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, keep up the good work. I will. DaleWileyShow.com.